Chapter Three of the Half Breed, A Tale of the Western Frontier, by Walt Whitman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Chuck Williamson. Chapter Three. A week must have passed away since the events of the last chapter. In the course of that time, another personage had arrived upon the stage where our little drama is being enacted, the village of Warren. This personage was Arrowtip's brother, the deer. Informed by his wife of the course intended to be taken by the sick chief, a few days after the departure of the latter, and thinking of a thousand mishaps that might possibly befall him on the road, the deer filled a pouch with food, strapped his bow and quiver on his back, and commenced a rapid progress toward the settlement. He arrived in time to witness the favorable change in Aerotip's illness which was but the precursor of still more improvement. It needed, indeed, but that he should continue a few days longer in the hospitable house of Thorn, and under the medical auspices of Master Caleb and the storekeeper, Barrett, to have his health and strength wholly restored. One morning, when Mr. Thorne came in to partake with his family of their early meal, he looked disturbed and somewhat agitated. To the inquiries of his wife, he for a time returned no answer. Oh, but I don't know, said he at length, why I may not as well inform you of the cause of what moves me. For two or three mornings past, on going as I usually do at daylight to take care of my cattle and feed them, I have missed something from the storehouse where I keep my grain and farming utensils. Occasionally I find merely that matter not very valuable is taken away, but then again an article of great use to me is stolen. I certainly have no idea who is the thief, but it becomes us all to be on the lookout and see if we cannot discover him. It was a painful thing for Arrowtip, who sat in the chimney room while Mr. Thorne was speaking, that the eyes of nearly everyone in the room, with the exception of Thorne himself and his eldest son, were turned upon him. He was too proud to answer any suspicions, and he moved not, or spoke under their gaze. Uh, this morning, continued Mr. Thorne, a large piece of uh, bear meat, which I purchased yesterday of a man sent here by Bodo, and which I intended to be our dinner today, is taken off where and by whom it is impossible to say. Again were the eyes of the group directed toward Arrowtip. 
The savage was deeply pained, but as before he evinced it by no sign. In truth, the suspicion, if any such were harbored, was unjust, and in no small degree unreasonable. From the nature of the articles purloined, they could have been of no value to an Indian, unless he sold them, and that were a difficult undertaking without risk of discovery. Aerotip rose and left the room, uttering not a word. For the first time, Mr. Thorne reflected upon the grief he must have inflicted by his remarks. With true good taste, however, he forbade to make the matter worse by attempting an apology. He bade his children abstain in future from any allusion to the subject, and particularly any sign that they looked upon Aerotip himself as an object of doubt. In course of the afternoon, Peter Brown, the lately married blacksmith, came over to Thorns to speak of a contemplated hunting party the next day in the forest. "'I am told,' said Peter, "'that there is a fine herd of deer which some of our folks have several times seen in the neighborhood of Oak Creek. What say you?' If the day be fair, will you join us? Uh, certainly, was Thorne's answer. And our friend Arrowtip here shall make another of the party, if he will. The chief, rejoined the one last spoken to, will be glad to go. Quincy stood near while this conversation was taking place. "'Father,' he said, "'do you not remember your promise that I might hunt with the next party?' Thorne smiled upon the eager boy and assented. So it was arranged that, soon after sunrise, they should all start together, a number of the men from neighboring houses having agreed to join them. As Aerotip retired that evening to a kind of outhouse where he slept, Thorne would have had him, on his first arrival, repose in the main dwelling, but the savage pertinaciously refused. Quincy tapped him on the arm and bade him, with a smile, to be up in time. "'And lest I should oversleep myself,' said the boy, Come to my window, which opens on the river, and knock upon it to wake me. It were hardly amiss to guess that the dreams of the young hunter that night were interwoven with huge buffaloes, and springing deer, and mighty bears, in most admired confusion. Aerotip rose some time before daylight. He pushed open a small swinging door and stood a few minutes gazing over the river in the direction of his distant tribe. His thoughts were with them, with his brother, whom he expected to visit him that day. The deer had his abode at a dismantled hut in the neighborhood of the village, and with his far-off friends. 
of a sudden while his gaze was thus fixed he saw a figure stealthily stepping or rather crawling through the farmyard toward the building used by thorn for a granary his sight convinced him that it was none of the host's family the figure was smaller than quincy or his father and much stouter than any of the younger children the savage immediately remembered what had been said respecting the thefts the preceding day and he felt that he should now be able to clear up the mystery and also remove any doubts that might have been held respecting his own integrity the indian silently drew back into the shadow and watched the figure like a thief indeed did it move and directly toward the door of the granary which it opened and passed arrowtip cautiously emerged from where he had been standing and favored by the shadow of a huge tree he stood near the door which the figure had entered and waited his coming forth he had not to wait long with the same halting and stealthy gait the thief appeared directly staggering under a bag borne upon his shoulder and evidently containing grain when he had got a couple of rods forward arrowtip sprang upon him as a cat would spring on a mouse now said he who comes forth like an owl in the night to take his brother's goods i have him a dismal howl sounded out from the startled thief and he struggled to get free but his struggles were useless arrowtip held him with a grasp of iron and dragged him to the dwelling of the family where he knocked loudly not many moments elapsed before thorn and his people disturbed by the racket came rushing together into the porch in front arrowtip in brief terms explained the matter to them and shoved his prisoner toward them <laughs> as i hope i may shoot a deer to-day said quincy with a loud burst of laughter it is none other than bodo the boy spoke truth indeed the mischievous and now detected hunchback stood before them he hung his head in stupid obstinacy and spoke not a word in excuse for his crime it is very wicked said arrowtip as he stood with folded arms and a flush of shame passed over his face and it sickens the chief's soul that one who owns blood of an honest tribe should be cut thus bodo looked up and scowled on the indian with a furious expression of deviltry and hate that plainly said he would lose no convenient opportunity for revenge if such occurred come come said mr thorn though i did not expect such conduct even from bodo i am willing to let it pass we all know the infirmity of the poor fellow and i dare say this will 
be a salutary lesson to him. Come, we forget that today we hunt the deer, and our breakfast is to be prepared and a dozen matters attended to yet, which we best set about immediately. As the hunchback turned from the spot to walk away, he cast another glance at Arrowtip. It was full of malice and hate, but the chief did not deign to heed it by the slightest notice. He calmly set himself about the necessary business of the hour. End of chapter 3